All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full, who uh, is now sporting a brand new mic that he is beyond ecstatic about. Yeah, it's this little snow globe looking thing for our MP3 listeners. <laughs> He's way too excited for this little Toys R Us looking microphone. It says blue on it. It says blue on it, all right? And, you know, it's a little ball. So, like, <laughs> don't even go there. We have kids that listen to this, Andrew. That's why I stopped. <laughs> oh, gosh. Dude, what's up? What's been up with you? The, I feel like I haven't talked to you a little bit. You guys took over the show for us uh, last week because uh, I was on Malax ice fishing, catching nothing in Minnesota last week. Staying um, cold. Yeah. It, very, it very blue. Get out of here. <laughs> it was a whopping negative 10 degrees. On Monday when I showed up, thankfully no wind, uh, but the rest of the week was actually pretty nice. Like for how the us Northerners sit, like we say, like a twenty-five degree temp with no wind is like beautiful in the winter. Oh yeah, really give me is. some shorts and like a long sleeve t-shirt, and I'm set to go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> give me twenty-five all day, and I'm the warmest person in the world. I don't know about shorts, but like bibs and a hoodie, and you can hole hop all day. But Dude, uh, shorts, the, and the fishing kind of sucked. The fishing Send really it. did suck. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. It's uh, That's all right. Perch was okay, but like the walleye bite, I'm a lax, at least for what we were able to get into. It wasn't very good. And uh, but it was just, it was kind of that way for, for everybody. It was weird because apparently the bite's been pretty good, but like I guess the literally just just so have it the week we get there, it sucks. And uh, we had good yeah. guys that were with us. Me and Brian Hawthorne and and uh Brad Brosdahl up there are like legends for ice fishing. So it's not like we weren't in good company, they just weren't biting or we just couldn't find them. But it's kind of cool to kind of see those guys that are like, you know, your pro ice fishermen kind of go to work and see their process of breaking it down because it's it's similar to open water. But obviously, you still have a different process when it comes to, to ice. So that was it was kind of cool to be with them and the Humminbird crew last week. Um, it's kind of something completely new and got my two days of ice fishing in and now we're back to open water. Yeah. I wonder how pelagic like a winter walleye is compared to like summer months because they tend to move a ton so i'm just curious as to like how much they may move during the winter that's a great question i don't know enough one about walleye and two about what they fish do during the ice to really understand that only thing i know about walleye is that they can get pretty big and they taste really good with some butter and some soft shell tacos (laughs) the only walleye i understand is the type that goes in the pan Exactly. Like they're innocent bycatch that ends up on my grill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, so. man. But, dude, uh, got a great episode tonight. We're getting Mr. Ben Milliken on here to talk uh, bass fishing and kind of break down his mindset uh, because the dude's been straight smashing him this past year. And a lot of people say, like, oh, it's simple. You know, you're going to, you move to Texas, you're going to catch big fish. Well, he catches big fish at a much higher rate than most do so there obviously there is something there uh yeah exactly rich walleye for food that's that's fine um so we're really excited to kind of break that down with them tonight talk some bait selection all that jazz we're going to get into it in a little bit but uh andy how how has things been in your neck of the woods just real fast everything is bigger in texas no everything's good thanks for asking man (laughs) you know for for hanging in there so yeah well dude I think without further ado, we should join to have our guest join us here. 
Mr. Ben Milliken. What's going on, dude? Gentlemen, what's going on tonight? Good evening. How we you, doing? Uh, I appreciate you taking some time out of your uh, your busy week to, to join us here. I know you've been uh, cracking them. I literally just got done eating dinner and watching your recent video you posted tonight. Awesome. I appreciate that. Hey, thanks for being a little flexible. I know we were planning on doing this last night, but I've been blasting all over freaking Texas, and we don't know where we're going to have reception, where we're going to be going the next day, just pretty much out there hunting for the next big one, you know? Oh, yeah. Dude, no problem at all. I, I've been to Lake Fork uh, once for a week, and that was probably the worst reception I think I've ever had in terms of, like, area. So the, the, just sure. to live in Texas, I'm sure it sucks <laughs> to it's try bad. to, like, it's, around it's, that. For sure, yeah. Yeah. But, the, no, either way, I'm glad we, we got you here, got you on the show tonight to uh, talk fishing. But, uh, you know, Obviously, we've been following along with your channel, but for maybe some folks that have missed an episode or two, or maybe for some reason live under a rock that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you've been up to lately since you moved down south. Yeah, man. So I'm I'm from Omaha, Nebraska originally. Been fishing my entire life as far as I can remember and started the whole professional YouTube thing um, about four or five years ago. I was fishing tournaments pretty much exclusively like 10 years before that uh, for bass. And um, full-time YouTube deal, been making four to six videos a week for five years now. And um, this last last spring, um, moved down to Texas. My family moved my family down to Texas. And uh, this last year has been pretty epic bass fishing, you know, since we moved down here. And it's, uh, man, I, I don't know. I can't even really explain it, how excited I am to be down here. It's uh, It's definitely had its... It's trials and tribulations. We just spent the last two days and didn't catch a, a big fish, didn't make a video or anything, and just grinded for daylight to, to dark uh, all day. So it's definitely not easy down here, but it's been a it's been a great nine ten months since I got down here. I think that's a really good point. Is that like people think just because you go to these historic lakes or you go to a, a location that's known to have big fish and you see picture, people posting pictures. That oh I'm just gonna go show up and throw wherever whatever bait wherever I want and I'm gonna catch a giant that's not exactly how it works no you you still have to put the work in you still have oh, to yeah. put the hours in obviously there's some cases where people get lucky but like you're not putting the work in you're probably not gonna set yourself up for a chance with a a true giant which yeah obviously hundred percent it's it's crazy coming down here there's I mean people do it, it's all relative of course I mean back in Nebraska. Uh, a six pounder was, was very rare, very, very rare. And then a seven pounder. I mean, I only think I weighed two or three, seven pounders on a scale in 15 to 20 years bass fishing in Nebraska, um, in Nebraska. And so, uh, to come down here, I mean, everyone thinks, you know, it's, it's the same thing. If you catch a five pounder in Nebraska, it's the same as a 10 pounder in Texas. It's not quite to that scale. It's more like catching a seven pounder in Nebraska is like catching a 10 in Texas, but even moving down here, there's people that have been fishing here for bass their whole life, never caught a 10-pounder, never caught double digits. So it's uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. No, and, that, and that's one thing I'd, I I kind of want to to break into tonight and kind of to, to start. It's, you know, back when you're living up north in Nebraska and to now, obviously you got some new tools like, like having live scope, and I think you've become one of the best – in my eyes, one of the best with that thing in, in the recent probably year, year and a half since you've gotten it. But I, I'm very curious in terms of your mindset, if that has changed at all since your move south in terms of 
your approach going on the water and trying to target bigger fish has, has that changed live scope aside because we're going to get into that in a second but like yeah, yeah. just how you, you think for sure um it's not a ton different but i've always been uh someone that's using baits that are bigger than average and targeting big shad eating fish big bluegill crappie eating fish that a lot of people aren't targeting um, but the difference was there in Nebraska, uh, generally, I, I mean, I picked up the big bait thing because I was trying to win tournaments and I knew early on, I need to do something a little bit different than everyone was doing to win. Uh, or I need to have really good electronics, um, and, and get really good at graphing offshore, which I didn't have the money for. So I kind of picked up the big bait thing, but the difference was there. I was fishing for one or two of those swim bait bites a day generally, uh, and everything kind of had to line up. But the great thing about Texas down here is, you know, it, even a lot of the five, six, seven pounders just have giant heads, giant frames, and they love the big bait down here. And so I'm, I'm able to apply a lot of what I learned um, that where maybe, you know, I'd be fishing a jig uh, or fishing a deep brush power or something. And along with forward facing sonar, um, been able to apply a lot of my big bait knowledge from Nebraska and just grow extremely quickly with my knowledge base on throwing these different types of big shad imitators and big bluegill imitators and crappie and everything else they're eating down there. Uh, it's just sped the process up in Texas so much. Yeah. So like you've obviously had that big fish mentality from the start, but adding that forward facing, I mean, what start it kind of explain it from the beginning of you dialing it in to obviously now being an expert with it. I mean, how does that kind of advance your learning curve of one, probably wasting less time and then two being able to actually be able to see the size of the fish because i can't tell you how many times in your videos i pick up on you saying oh that's a giant where that one's bigger than the other one where you kind of you can tell the size of a fish and, and you're very good i've noticed in telling the species of a fish too so kind of like explain the learning curve of, of that and the advantage of it bailey i think i could be here until about midnight maybe that's all right that if i explain that's this okay. learning curve <laughs> Fair enough. oh man i don't even know where to start with that um it's all time behind the wheel, like everything else. And when I started off with it, I was able to kind of get it. I don't know. It, it's, it's extremely difficult with live scope to go out on your lake and say, you don't just start panning around and saying, there's an eight pounder and just cast it and catch it. A lot of people think that's all you do. And uh, I get so many crazy comments from people that don't understand it and, and videos and Instagram and Facebook, whatever, man. But, um, uh, I guess <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to decide where to really go with this. Um, I guess, I, you know, I kind of I'll, I'll just kind of get technical with it because everyone that not everyone, but a lot of people that watch this probably have live scope, probably know quite a bit about it. So they'll understand. Yeah. But I, I kind of started that, you know, 50, 60 foot out. I didn't really know a lot about color gain. I knew a lot quite a bit about um, regular gain. So I'd switch that up quite a bit. And more than anything, when I started, I was using it as a tool to see um, what kind of habitat was in front of the boat as opposed to just what type of fish, because I fished a lot of man-made lakes in Nebraska and Iowa and Missouri. And the biggest thing there is they all have man-made rock brush pile, um, just hard spots, at the bottom drop-offs points, grass edges, stuff like that. And I realized really quick, you know, forward facing sonar is like the best way to, to acknowledge these spots ahead of you and really pinpoint exactly how these fish were holding on these types of cover. But it wasn't until I got down here to Texas um, and really last early last winter and last spring that I realized you can crank that up. You can, you can run that screen super hot 
uh, and, and blast it out to 100, 120 feet and crank that color gain up. And you can really start to see things that are out far enough, um, whether it be habitat or fish and cast precisely to those fish um, and be able to catch those exact fish. Or at least, you know, a lot of people think that this is a misconception as well. A lot of people think that um, the pinging of side image or forward facing sonar, I guess, has a negative impact on the fish. And that is totally true. I'm on a lake right now where if my bait hits the water and it's, it's going vertically straight down in the water column, the fish are 30 feet that way because they've seen so damn many of them and they've heard that ping in so many times. But for hmm. the majority of lakes still in the country, um, these, I just, I, I used to be a baseball player. I used to do these things in sports where I, I knew if I get enough opportunities at these fish that I'd be able to dial it in and, and eventually figure it out. And so what I try to do as I go through my day is make as many casts at fish as I possibly can and high percentage areas of cover. And basically, you know, the, the great thing is you, you get to see how these fish are reacting. And that's something that you never would have any opportunity to see if you weren't running forward facing sonar or any sonar at all. A lot of the big swim bait guys think you got to be super stealthy, super quiet. And I get it. I don't bang my trolling motor around. A lot of times I shut down all my electronics besides my pan optics. But being able to see how that fish reacts to a different type of tail kick on your bait, uh, a glide uh, as opposed to a straight swim bait, um, a, a bait that's way over their heads as opposed to on the bottom of the lake. And the biggest thing for me, I guess, is sink rate and how long that bait is going to be moving through that strike zone. Um, it, it's just, it's, to me, it's, it's priceless. And that's, I'm never going to go to straight up not using electronics. It's not, not even <laughs> in a thing that I'm going to consider. Yeah, it's a fair point. <laughs> Basically, yeah. you know, pe people think you can't go out and catch the biggest fish in the lake because they're super smart and they'll hear the ping in other live sonar. But I would argue that they have an opportunity on that rocky point drop off that's the best spot on the lake that they've caught big fish on before they can maybe drag their bait past a big fish once every four or five trips the biggest fish in the lake as opposed to i can go out there and i can make a cast at 30 fish that size in a day and i i, I will take that 10 times out of 10 we have a really good question here while while we're on the topic of forward facing sonar and it's from uh our buddy our buddy here chris and he said, after 15 years of not fishing on my own boat, I'm just getting into side scanning and depth scanning. I want to know how difficult it would be to incorporate forward facing in my learning curve. That's a great that's a, question. That's a really great question of where do you implement that while you're starting to learn fishing electronics? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think just like every other type of fishing and every other type of sonar, best thing to be would you know put it on there and go to areas where you have a lot of confidence and use it as a tool to see those spots like whether it be a brush pile a point of uh, a grass edge whatever and go out there knowing that you know it's a great spot i catch fish there and even if you just catch numbers there it's not a big fish spot or anything see how those fish set up relate move around and just slowly implement it it's definitely a learning curve um one thing i've done that's that helps and i know a ton of pro fishermen do it as well is if you could get around crappie um, crappie fishing helps a ton with, with the learning curve of forward facing sonar. Um, they're really, you know, big, tight wads of crappie schools. You can see them on a lot of different settings. You can use it to dial in where you need your gain at, how far you need to that to be able to, to see those fish. And they're really stupid. And so you can catch a lot of fish, um, you catch dinner at the same time. Can't hate that. 
and yeah. um, you can you can work on chasing them around. A lot of times, you know, the they're, crappie don't move too quick. You can just chase that school around if they're moving around, and, and you get instant feedback. Uh, and, and that's, I mean, that's that's what I would say for sure. Right. So, kind of going back to like where you made you made the point of. You know, the guy that doesn't have it, but will drag a, a jig every once every five trips, right? But you're going to probably, you're going to go on yeah. the basis of giving yourself the most opportunities as possible. I kind of want to relate that to like when we see your boat deck during these videos and seeing, you know, six to 10 rods. And, and, and when you find these fish and it's like your bait selection, is that kind of the same theory as like you want to have as many options to, because you see those fish, if they tail kick, how they react to that bait, how they're behaving. Is that kind of the same theory that you're going with at that many rods? Yeah, a thousand percent, man. And um, you never know, especially down here in Texas, when that next fish you pan your transducer over to is going to be the fish of a lifetime. It could be a 15, 18, 20 pound fish without question. And so if I fire a line through swim bait at it and it doesn't move, I want to have a Alabama rig ready. And if I fire that to it and it follows it for five feet, then I want to throw a 2.8 Kitek at it. And if I pull that by it and it doesn't do anything, then I want to throw a 10 inch glide bait at it and let it slow sink down there. And if it follows that all the way to the boat, then I know that that's a spot that I need to come back to um, 30 minutes, two hours, eight hours later in the day and, and, and look around and see if we can see those same fish or just other fish in the area wrecking the same way. So basically, once you get them to trigger and follow you, you you put a waypoint down, and you every time you find another one, you just keep circling back around the lake. Is basically what you're saying until one. Yeah, somewhat. Um, what they got figured out with these Texas fish and just big fish in general down here is they're not usually alone. Um, that's kind of a misconception I think people have, and I kind of had was that I thought these big fish were loners. They're just out cruising around, and that's something that I would see with live scope. And what I've really there there is those fish um, there those definitely do exist, but a lot of these big fish down here, um, the six plus pounders, the eight, ten, twelve pounders, even they'll roll around and just haul ass all over the lake in wolf packs of five to fifteen fish, and it, it'll blow your mind. I, I just caught my biggest fish ever, twelve four. It was in a group of ten fish. They were all that same size, and I think they just use it as an advantage over whatever prey to just. Wow. They just haul ass all over the place and, and mow down whatever. And so I, I know when I get to those areas, whether it be a point, a grass line, uh, a deep brush pile on the end of a point or a big rock pile, and I see those fish moving around. And this is for largemouth, of course. Smallmouth are totally different creatures. And I've, I've definitely used it successfully with smallmouth. But with with those big largemouth down here, um, I they they will repeatedly the, – the, the wolf pack will, will not just go through the one area and be gone forever. They will repeatedly make that same rotation through that area throughout the day. So they basically make a triangle is what you're saying. Yeah, and that, I mean that's that's one of the big things that I, I didn't realize for sure what, was just that these fish travel like this um, and the biggest ones travel like this. And it's something that I think we never understand or never did understand as fishermen. You pull up to a spot, you pull up to your favorite rock pile, whatever. And I had spots in the back of my head that I'm like, this is a great spot. And I think we all have this idea. This is a really good spot, but it's usually only good for one fish. It, for whatever reason, there's one big one that's always there. It's not a number spot. I'm just going to pull up and catch one. But the deal was you caught one, but there was eight more following it. 
they came to the boat, they sat under the boat, they're still sitting under the boat as you're whatever trying to cast that <laughs> rock pile again, and they're just hanging out down there. They're never going to bite until you back your boat off, go fish somewhere else, and come back to it. it a lot of these one fish spots or big fish spots are actually there's a school there. They're just they all pull and follow that's that either pull you with your bait or they follow the fish that you caught. Um, and that's something obviously you see chasers with small mouth and whatever in clean water, but uh, it's kind of blowing my mind with forward facing. Yeah. I think that's the biggest advantage of forward facing sonar uh, more than anything is just being able to learn more about how these fish actually behave versus these, I guess, you know, assumptions that we've made prior to having forward facing of like, Oh, they, they probably just do this. You know, that's always kind of the famous line for, for an, an angler is, Oh, they probably just do that. Or there's no way they do this. And um, one thing I we've learned from, uh, we had Maddie Wong on here and I've stolen this line from him a couple of times is never trust. Uh, wh- what is it, Andrew? Don't trust. Um, oh, was is is basically saying anyone that speaks in absolutes, you, you you can't trust it. So like learning to not believe in absolutes and fishing, I think help you as an angler to know that there's always a possibility of something until you really dive into it. Um, and forward facing, I think has really helped us clue into the different scenarios that bass present us with, where just like you said, we're like, Oh, it's a, cause I've heard that so many times guys will say, Oh, this is just one, one, uh, one fish spot. It's always a big one. And that's it. Where that could be the case. Like you just explained in all of the different scenarios. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, it's being able to see how they react to stuff. I think is the biggest advantage of it. Absolutely. And see, uh, one example of that I'm fishing a lake right now. Last time I was here a couple weeks ago, I was fishing this spot where I'm always catch big fish out of, and and I, it's it's like a, a big long main lake point. It's got rock on it, and then on the very end of it, there's like three hardwoods where it drops from like thirty foot to seventy foot, and they're right on the drop off. And I could see some fish out there, and I fire my line through over it, and one kind of followed it, whatever. I was like, oh, there is a fish in there. I couldn't really see them, though, because the hardwoods are so thick and big. And I fired. I had this nine-inch, uh, it was like a big uh, wedgetail swim bait, and I fired it way over the top of it, and I wasn't even paying that much attention. And I'm pulling it over the top, and all of a sudden, I get just freaking blasted. I didn't catch the fish, but it before forward facing sonar i'd be like well yeah there's i mean that's a great spot it's on a drop off big hardwood tree one came up and smoked it you're fishing for one but when i pan that pan optics over to it there was like 10 fish that were probably 8 to 12 pounds just all over it and they hit it my, the first one that bit it fouled the tail up it was bent over and i was ripping it through the water another one ate it with the tail fouled up and just missed it it was crazy just a, another example of, of we don't really have any idea what's going on down there um and it, yeah, it's all about how they react. Right. What What do you find a situation like that that they're willing to commit on a big bait like that, but they're not like fully committing to it, where you're going to get a good hookup rate? What's your kind of like? What's your process of kind of finding baits after that to get them to commit, where you know they're going to fire on something, but haven't fully committed yet? Yeah, every situation, every bait is different. A lot of times you're screwed. It's a timing deal, and I mean today. It happened over and over. Today we had one opportunity at uh, a, a big fish. It was a group of 15 fish probably. They were all, I don't know, they were all over 10 pounds, I think. They were giant. But didn't didn't give them a bite, followed the bait. And then we probably had 50, 60 other fish that we were individual in a group. They just didn't commit. And the timing just never happened today. Um, and that's the way it is sometimes, especially at these pressure lakes. But 
I guess my mentality uh, is always uh, I'll change. Let's see. I, I, pro I throw something quicker sinking or I throw something that they've the previous fish have been reacting to, whether it be that day or the last time I was at the lake, I'll fire that in at a fish first or a group of fish first. And then from there, I'll start changing up. I probably change size um, after that of bait. And then I'll probably change sink rate after that. Uh, and then I'll probably go try to catch a different fish. <laughs> yeah. It's like, when do you, when do you know with that forward facing, like when to leave, when you know that those fish just are just good, way too stubborn. Uh, I, I think that just comes with experience, man. It's like everything else. That's the biggest thing. And especially in tournament fishing, you know when to stay or go. And if they follow it all the way to the boat and they're not touching it and they're under the boat, they're probably burned, they're probably done. So come back at a different time with a different bait. Uh, but if you're firing at it and it's not even moving, uh, I would try I try one other bait usually, and then I just write them off as not going to bite at that point. Fair. That's a good point. Yeah. As so, the singles, the single ones. Now, we have this we have this lake in Texas that I fished a lot this year, and they, they would travel in those wolf packs of 8 to 12 bass, and they were going so fast. And if you got the bait in front of them, they would either fly down to it or they would eat it. Uh, or they would miss it or, or they would eat it or something. But they were super aggressive, and from that point it was just – figuring out whether it was going to be the hair jig, it was going to be the nine inch flutter spoon, it's going to be the line through swim bait. And that kind of changed throughout the day, but they would eat one of those. And that gives you pretty quick feedback. Fun. Yeah. It's pretty terrible. I cannot complain. I, I, <laughs> I grind and beat my head into the ground and spend 12, 14 hours sometimes not catching a fish, but I cannot complain moving down here and uh, having the opportunity to catch giant fish like this all the time. No, well, dude, no. that many people are really willing to put that time in. They're going to spend maybe an hour looking at thing, that thing and try and fish, and they're like, damn, I can't figure this out, and then they're going to go back to go flipping bushes, which they might catch fish, and but, like, when they put that time in, you're, kind of, you're, you're earning your keep for catching the caliber that you're catching. Like, it's only, like you yeah. said, it's a time. It's, it's all going to come together eventually. You just need to literally put in the hours. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I get more time fishing full-time than a lot of people will get, but – I think it's a valuable tool for anyone that can go out and can afford to get it because at the very least you can see what type of cover and structure that you're fishing for. It's not a, a great tool in shallow water. Um, it can it can be once you really learn it, but especially guys that are struggling to, to find and, and, and kind of get comfortable fishing offshore or like you guys, smallmouth fishermen, they are real dumb to it. Um, you can catch about all of them or most of them anyway. Pretty much. <laughs> so... so, so. Uh, yeah. Got Especially you know big bass, you. big bass fisheries like like St. Clair and, and like any of the Great Lakes, it's it's just invaluable. Oh yeah, I was uh, fishing a derby this fall on Erie with my buddy Destin, who was on the Elite Series the last two years. Our buddy Destin and um, I had a smallmouth randomly over fifty-four foot of water show up ten feet underneath the boat. Like we, it was just an orb, right? We're like, oh, I don't know if it's a smallie, so I dropped on it. It chased it all the way to the bottom in fifty-four feet and ate it. Mm, that is wild. That deep? <laughs> yeah. Ten foot underneath the boat, just oh. dropped flatworm on it and chased it all the way to the bottom with a half ounce well, weight. I mean, like a rocket. You, you, get, you get that thing past him and he starts going down. You ain't going to stop it. Just no, let him go. No. Just like, I was like, he are probably, you kidding he me? His, his air bladder probably went... Yeah. <laughs> probably it's killed like, the damn thing. He goes 54 feet down and 54 feet back yeah, up. It was, <laughs> it was dead the most insane thing ever. 
Uh, no, we ended up waiting. I think that was our biggest fish of the tournament, too, is like four and a half, almost five. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I, I mean, never experienced I thought maybe it was a walleye, so I just dropped on it, and all of a sudden it was just like, boom. I was like, maybe it's yeah, a Yeah, for sure. Sure. That's actually a really cool train of thought, though, Andy, because like you say that time of year, it's really hard to catch those big fish. Yeah, I mean, that's probably what they're doing. They're just a few feet subsurface, just on the move. And that's yeah. the only way you can access them is with that forward facing. Well, I don't remember. I, I don't remember if it was with you, Bailey, or it might have been Steve on one of like, the guide trips were out. On that spot that me and you fished, I found a, a lot of suspended smallies in like 40 foot. And they were suspended 15 foot off the bottom in 25 and i knew they were smallmouth because when i dropped on them they would chase it down and eat it off the bottom so like in my mind i was like it was the same thing it was just a different part of the lake so i have seen it but it's usually that july to september period when they become more pelagic Mm. and just chasing feed food and they tend to become more like lean at that point you don't get those big butterballs or long skinny fish that do that yeah throw that is that your new mic, Andy, that's making that robot noise? Are you, is anyone else hearing that, or is that just me? I hear it, too. Hold on. Let me let me try <laughs> to unplug it here. Oh, you're good. Let's see. Uh, so, Ben, when you, like, let's kind of put the scenario, like, when you are going to a new lake, uh, and obviously your goal is to go there and find the biggest fish in the lake, like, do you have a process on the water that you've never seen before, like, when you pull up? Like, what's your kind of process of you know, whether it's looking at a map before you yeah. cross the boat, like getting on the water and trying to find them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess one of the things I did um, that's kind of made me understand why I've caught big fish in places and, and fish places I have in the past, uh, and has really helped me now that I moved down here, was I read a book. Um, it's called In Pursuit of Giant Bass by Bill Murphy. And if you haven't read it, I would strongly, strongly recommend you do. He uses a lot of techniques in there that people would never use today and would never help them today. Old stitching techniques with a four-inch worm straight tail and 50 feet of water with no weight on it. Just the most finesse California stuff ever um, with a pistol grip, five-foot, six rod. Just, but the, the man caught so many teeners and stuff in, in the 80s and 90s in California it's insane. But the biggest thing I took from it was the principles of where he talked about the biggest fish living on any particular body of water, the different access points they use when they approach these offshore areas. Um, so that's, I mean, that I got to give them quite a bit of credit to that, but it, it, it wasn't, I didn't learn a ton of new things from it, but it, it solidified in my mind, you know, this guy's 30 years ago, 40 years ago, he was catching these fish and he's using the same type of principles that I've used in Nebraska um, to catch five, six pounders. Uh, he's catching teeners. But, you know, it, a lot of I guess a lot of what it depends on when you get to a body of water. I like to look at, you know, seasonal stuff doesn't matter that much to me anymore. Um, I've kind of realized that the biggest fish in the lake outside of the spawn period um, with a large mouth. I'm talking, of course, smallmouth. Once again, crazy, weird animals. The biggest bass um, will live <laughs> on the most prominent pieces of cover and prominent pieces of structure, no matter what lake you're at, unless it's a super muddy lake. In that case, I don't go to the lake. I don't like to go to super stained lakes. That's just the way it is. I use a lot of baits that are, are visual baits with live sonar. And if the water is not at least one and a half, two, three foot visibility, then it makes it extremely difficult. 
So I try to find these lakes where obviously I've heard or, or know from looking online, they got giant fish in them. And I check the water quality. If that's all I go, then I will, no matter what time of year, get on the most prominent points um, and, and look at the most prominent point on the lake. Um, first off on the map, I'll go scan that. If there's humps, that's a huge thing too. And a lot of it's scanning with side imaging to see if it's got the type of cover on that piece of structure. And at that point, I, you know, you just put the trolling motor down and start blasting around. That's not a, a huge, crazy thing to wrap your head around, I know, but that's that's literally how I started all these lakes. Uh, I had fished Lake Fork like two or three, four days before I moved down here. Besides that, I haven't fished a lake that I've caught fish on before this year um, in Texas. So that's my approach when I go to these lakes. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just keeping it simple. You really just, you're kind of relying on your resources and putting in the time. Um, and that's that's kind of what I'm curious about, too, is like what people don't see behind the scenes in your videos of like what are the, how many hours like and say in an in a average session when you go out with with coleslaw and you get some filming in and like how much time are you spending behind the wheel that we don't see when you put out your YouTube videos? Yeah, I mean, well, I didn't get a video the last two days and I spent daylight to daylight the last two days after I drove eight hours the night before. So <laughs> that's part of the game too. But, you know, generally to get those, however many fish I'm putting, I, I don't know. I don't, I used to make a couple of videos a day sometimes when the fish were small and I'd catch more, but now I'm, I'm grinding all day to catch, you know, five to eight fish for a video generally. Heck yeah. The when, grind. So, yeah. It's an absolute grind. <laughs> um, probably like all sorts of sunburn and windburn freaking wind blew 40 all day today. I'm about dead. Oh. Hey, you gotta be proud of those though. Uh, Some people like say like you show up and you got like raccoon eyes, but then I'm like, yeah, I wear that with pride. That's yeah, just, for sure. That's proof. Yeah. If you don't have a, a sunglass tan, tan liner and like those, uh, that like anything else like that, I mean, you're not. Yeah, you were you weren't at the lake all day. Yeah, for you, sure, for sure. <laughs> you're <a liar. laughs> um, or you're not on the lake as much as you say you are. Right. That's right. You can yeah. always call someone sunglass bluff. We all know those guys. <laughs> yeah, I was on the lake all week, killing him. Like, dude, your pills ghost. <laughs> yeah. Um, so outside of like a big swim bait, and obviously you've been killing him with that provoke recently. I mean, take those two baits away. Do you have uh kind of like a third confidence bait for that forward facing sonar? Yeah, I got a bunch, man. And the the thing a lot of people don't think about is that I think it's a huge thing. I think, I'm, you know, I'm fishing with an elite series guy the last two days and one of the best fishermen in the world, he gets it. And I think it's something that a lot of pros do. People don't get is they make a lot of modifications to baits and the way that they move in the water column and how fast they sink that people do not see or understand. I can't tell you how many people are just like, I got this provoke out of the package and it slow floats. I thought it was supposed to suspend. What am I, what am I going to do? The bait's not working right. It's like, get some lead wire. I, I wait almost everything I use um, to sink faster to use from forward facing sonar. And that's been the biggest thing for me. Um, but I guess where I would go with that, I, I wouldn't say there is a third bait, but some other baits that I use, you know, a lot of people think I'm just the big swim bait forward facing sonar guy, but these, these fish eat giant shad. That's what these big Texas bass want to eat. They want to eat big gizzard shad, whether it be a five inch shad or a 14 inch shad, anything in there. So baits that mimic those are absolutely deadly. And especially ones that apply to forward facing by sinking quickly, 
So a hair jig has been extremely helpful for me. Not not like a, a little marabou hair jig like for smallmouth, but a 5'8", 3-quarter three, ounce um, hair jig like a bucktail, which, again, is kind of funny. Not very many people in Texas throw them somehow. They think it's like a ledge fishing Tennessee River only thing. Blows my mind. Um, and then a giant flutter spoon, absolutely an incredible big 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 fish trigger um something about that bait you can be in water with eight foot visibility and blast that into a school of them after they've seen every other bait and they just lose their mind some some days they just can't resist that big flutter spoon um and then i i mean i'm just as comfortable using a little two eight kitek on an eight ounce jig head for a lot of fish too i've caught i haven't caught a double digit on one but i've caught a ton of seven and eight pounders on a, a six pound test line and a little tiny bait um yeah, I don't and a big live bait too. Yeah, I don't think you'll find six pound fluoro in anyone's house in Texas. You might be the only one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, maybe some crappie guys, but that might be about the extent of it. No, they're yeah, running ten two. They gotta get them out of the timber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think people believe in spinning rods down here, which is <laughs> uh, understandable a lot of days. But some days I catch more fish for sure because of a little tiny swim bait or something. Uh, total side tangent, but I'm just kind of curious. Um, are you a straight floral guy or a braid to floral for the, the big spoon? Uh, straight floral on the big spoon, 25 pound usually. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, I mix it up. Um, my Melican series seven, seven heavy. It's like a flipping sticks, probably my favorite. It's pretty parabolic though. So, but I'm, I mean, I'm not talking about fishing a five-inch flutter spoon. That requires a totally different rod. I'm talking about throwing like the the six cents big one, the Ben Parker Magnum, the Ben Parker Super Magnum, like two ounce, two and a half ounce flutter spoons. That you got to have some meat to throw it out there. But uh, super cool presentation. I mean, you can fire it off of offshore structure. You can worm it over the top of brush piles, which has been a great way to catch some giant fish that I've kind of started to figure out later in the summer. Um, which you wouldn't think you'd be able to fish a spoon through a brush pile. But with that forward face, you throw behind it, let it shoot away from you, work it up to it, and just kind of kiss the top of that brush pile. And those big ones can't stand it sometimes. How many spoons have you lost? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Real question. Uh, (laughs) Well, not too many. Maybe 10 this year, but they're 18 bucks a piece or something. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, an expensive well, day in the office yeah <laughs> when you say you worm it uh across that brush pile are you meaning like you're bringing up over top of it or going th- you're actually going through that brush pile over the top of it but not like you would think where you're blasting it 10 feet over the top i'm talking like rip fall two feet rip 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 and then it gets on the front side and you let it go all the way to the bottom and that's usually when they're just like lose their minds and four of them come out of it and just converge and destroy it that's some juice why yeah. is this giant gizzard shed just dying in front of me i got exactly eat it. <laughs> it can only resist that so many times i just gotta help him put him out of his misery exactly you ain't fooling me this time second time exactly he comes right up. stop fooling me this time third time he's like i gotta eat it <laughs> exactly <laughs> that made so cool though i mean you you rip it up towards you and it friggin right back at them like they're not gonna be able so, to miss that so just as you drop your rod tip after that hard drop that's 
it's going backwards. Yeah. You throw that slack in it, and the thing goes backwards. It shoots to the side harder and more aggressive and erratic than any other bait. And even if they don't want to bite, sometimes that thing's going to smack them right in the face. And you can't tell me an eight-pounder is not going to eat it at that point. <laughs> he ain't going to get spooked by it. Yeah, I mean, when you get slapped in the back of the head, you I mean you're going to turn around and see what the hell hit you? <laughs> exactly. Someone throws a let me eat this frying face, pan. I'm going to catch it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have another rod question here uh, from Felipe Moore Fishing. Uh, what rod do you use for jerkbait fishing? Um, and I was actually thinking the same thing watching um, your video from today, um, that Sixth Sense rod. What uh, what rod specs and what, what rod was that? Yeah, that's the Sixth Sense ESP series. It's a, a six, uh, 611. I think it's a medium heavy moderate. Um, they have a 69 medium also that works just as well. Uh, it's a faster tip, but it bends all the way through the rod, if that makes any sense. So I don't even know how to describe the action on it. Um, the power it's like a would be like, action, right? yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it does have the tip and, and twitching it to, uh, to get those quick twitches, but it also loads up all the way through the blank, which if you watch the newest video, you can see many times how far that rod will load. Yeah, that's one thing Andy and I have kind of been diving into is like you can see a rod just like general action and then also what they list it as. But then there's always like a secondary action that kind of companies are kind of known for depending on what rods they put out. But like yep. certain rods will be fast action, but they'll be like you talk about your flipping stick. It'll be parabolic throughout the entire rod. And that's yes, kind of sir. like something important, I think, to look into like when you're looking into a rod. If you're really Yeah, when, when I designed my, my series of rods, it was extremely important to me that the action was proper on all of them for different types of techniques and one thing i've kind of really you know figured out over time is the more moderate bend you have in a rod really the more versatile that rod can be for different types of techniques of course you have your niche rods for different types of baits but as a whole i have a 7.4 heavy rod that bends a long ways through the, the the blank and because it bends so far i mean you can throw you can pitch with the rod you can drag with the rod you can throw a swim jig you can throw top water buzz bait spook you can do all sorts of stuff with one rod because it has that that slower action uh, you catch them all on it so it, it's something that i definitely incorporate into the uh the the nine rods i came out with you got anything new coming out for 2022 with six cents we do actually yeah rod wise we, we got a lot coming out we're coming up we got um three new models coming out in my my Melican series which is great we got a deep cranking rod a 7.8 rod that's gonna be great for i mean you could use it for like a 10 foot diver but 15 foot diver is probably gonna be right in the sweet zone we have this rod that i've been using with forward facing that i'm in love with which is a 7.4 medium light spinning rod um, for those little single swimmers good hair jig rod for you guys up north um, that loads really well through the rod as well um, you can just kind of reel into them and then uh, also coming out with a jerkbait rod that's going to be similar to that ESP one. But we're also, another thing we're excited about is for the first time, we're making a whole series of rods built uh, 100% in the United States on North Fork blanks. Um, I've got a, I've got the opportunity to design three or four of those different models that are coming out in the series. going to be a little bit pricier, but they are crazy refined. Two swimbait rods in the series that are have the capability to throw a, a six to eight ounce bait. The biggest one does, and it is super, super light. The most light refined rod that I've ever used for big swim bait fishing. Um, then the one that's uh, a smaller swim bait rod for the two to four ounce baits that I, I just caught that 12 pounder on once again, super slow action, bends all the way through the blank. So 
rod wise very excited for that and bait wise we'll probably come out with 20 more new baits in the year too that's awesome i, yeah. I ended up picking, picking up a couple of the new the new jointed swim baits and then also the glide bait that came out i'm trying to remember the name of it you'll have to sweet yeah me. the draw yep yeah yep uh i picked up a couple of those but i mean i think when you, when you talked about the price of a rod i think uh I think anglers know now that we're willing to, to pay the money for because you know in the end for most cases most cases I'll say you get what you pay for so mm-hmm. I mean it's it's people I mean you know firsthand obviously buying some of those swim baits you got that people are willing to spend the money so I'm pretty excited to see what you guys are coming out with and seeing some of the rods you build out I'm gonna have to scoop me some but uh, dude, that's pretty cool what you guys got going on over there. It's exciting. It's one of the big reasons that I uh, moved down to Texas was the business side of things. And it's been very beneficial to be able to get those baits and rods and everything in my hand the day that we get them and get the feedback immediately and sent back. None of that waiting for fresh water, open water season for four months like I used to have to do like you guys are doing right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Nebraska, you're not really around much, to be honest, <laughs> oh, <laughs> especially no. business side, too. Little Correct. known fact about New York. Our open water season is usually about end of March through December. Sounds terrible. So we, we get eight months instead of 12, you know? <laughs> right. Every okay. year, our yeah, every year our ice season seems to get, like, shorter and shorter. And it's slightly scary but also kind of cool because we can, like, New Year's Eve we were out. We had 180 smallmouth and almost 30 pounds. So, like, it was – it's just dumb. It's just That's more wild. Of, yeah, the just, dumbest yeah. fish in the world live in Lake Erie <laughs> from November to December. That's <laughs> not a terrible fish. thing. No, I think there was four different times where two of us had uh, both of our baits uh, like in the same fish. Like they ate both of our lines. It was, yeah, it's dumb. Um, <laughs> well, that's dude, fun. I, is it is it pretty mild up there? And I'm I'm experiencing a lot of the same stuff. No, not right now. Anyway, because I've been talking to people from Nebraska, and it's been pretty mild winter so far, but. Just to go along with what you're saying, man, it's like, I don't know if it's global warming or what it is, but it's it was 85 yeah. degrees down here in Texas fishing today. I got t-shirt and shorts on from fishing. Got a sunburn today. Jealous. <laughs> today got to oh, 25, man. and uh, yesterday, where me and Bailey are, we got about 20 inches of snow in seven hours, and I think oh. the high yesterday was like 12. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be honest, though, like, it gets – uncomfortable i shouldn't really say uncomfortable but like i guess really cold for i mean you're you got northern blood in you so like it really only gets like uncomfortable probably early january but honestly dude like late november to the first couple weeks of december it is not bad like you can handle it's like a nice it's like low 45 30s. to 52 yeah, at a high yeah with like low, yeah that's not upper, terrible upper 20s low 30s in the morning when you blast off yeah some days so, yeah, I mean, and it's nice. Everyone's out for deer season, and you kind of usually got the waters to yourself. If people haven't put their boats away, and um, so yeah, it's a lot, not not many people fish that. And we'll probably have some people up here that'll message us afterwards, like, "Why the heck are you guys talking about that?" But uh, we don't <laughs> for sure because it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, but dude, I kind of want to uh, before we let you go here because I know you get questions about this same stuff all the time. I'm sure. So I'd kind of like to just like throw it back with you a little bit and kind of also see like what other sides of of fishing have you not been able to do in a while that you kind of wish you had more time to do being that you're in Texas? Uh, Biggest one is smallmouth fishing for sure. Uh, I do miss that. And luckily, you know, I can 
blast up there 15, 20 hours and do that. But yeah, that's the biggest thing I miss. I don't miss the ice fishing. Um, I, I was just talking about today. It's, it's fun and everything once in a while, but I don't miss the cold and the ice fishing at all. Uh, but yeah, the smallmouth fishing for sure, but it's not like it's impossible to get there. Yeah. You just have to go low. I got, I got a, a some... guess for you guys. Look at this guy. Hey. hey. <laughs> What's going on, Lee? Sneaking in there. He's been catching so, no fish along with me. We've been killing it. That that's fantastic <laughs> news. Like I was know, I was actually gonna ask if you were linking up with any of the boys we saw uh in your video today. Obviously, you're the bunch of pros were around the area, but uh, that's cool. Sure, yeah. Will Lee make a uh, entrance? In your videos here coming up soon? Oh, God, if we can catch some damn fish and film one. I don't, I'm not like these these Instagram fishermen that catch one big fish a month and post 390 pictures of it. I got to go out and catch <laughs> five to 14 fish every day for a video. And when you catch four, it doesn't make very good content. I love the call out of the Instagram fisherman. That's funny. <laughs> it's so funny because it's one true say, and right? honestly... Yeah, I've totally been guilty of it too. Where oh, yeah. I posted like three different pictures of the same fish, so I'll I'll say I'm guilty in that boat. <laughs> I think we're all well, slightly guilty depending right, on right. what fish it is. This is of so, course, yeah. Like when you exactly. post three different angles of a an 11 inch bass, that's when you know things are getting a little little bad. <laughs> a little out of hand. I got you. Yeah, <laughs> a little out of hand. <laughs> yeah, people uh, in the comments. Yeah, they they know who we're talking about. We're good. <laughs> Yeah, but uh dude we don't want to keep you for too long tonight andy if you don't have anything uh left for ben we'll uh we'll just wrap up and and let him uh enjoy his night down in texas so one thing is since you moved from nebraska to texas how much has your mindset changed and then um going forward with tournaments what does your tournament selection look like are you picking hand picking lakes that are completely tailored to the style of fishing you want to do or are you like just going out and fishing rando tournaments whenever you can? Yeah, those are really good questions. Um, my mindset's changed filming-wise probably to uh, – it hurts me quite a bit because I get to the point where all I want to do is go catch giant bass, and I know I can catch the biggest bass by live scoping. And 95% of viewers on YouTube don't want to go watch someone out in the middle of the lake talk about fish following his bait all day. It looks like you're in the middle of the ocean. None of, not none, but majority of them don't have boats. They bank fish. They spillway fish. They catch different species of fish. So when I'm out every single day trying to catch big live scope fish, that's not necessarily good for the old career. Um, but it's what I enjoy. And it's to the point where um, I'm not going to pander to, I guess, an audience that's not myself. I'm going to do what makes me happy. And uh, because when, end of the day if i'm happy i get to go home to the family and uh not make them miserable yeah. too because I'm, I'm not happy so yeah it I, it's changed um the, the tournament side of things i kind of took a step back from tournaments this year uh the year before and the year before that i was i probably fished 20 25 tournaments making videos all of them and that's something i super i really really enjoy doing that and people really like those but getting settled in here to Texas has been um, so busy trying to figure out content stuff that I kind of took a little step back. Uh, yes, is the answer, I guess, to will I try to tailor my panoptics forward facing sonar to these lakes? Yeah, absolutely, I will, um, which has kind of been one thing that's held me back from entering a bunch this year. I'm not going to just go drop a $500 entry fee to get my tail kicked in. Um, and so, that's a fair point. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm also the type of person that's I, – I want to be super versatile. It's what's helped me my entire fishing career is being able to go over there and be able to 
live scope all day in the middle of the lake or the next lake, be able to fish current the whole time and go to the next lake, be able to drop shot the whole day, catch them, go to the next lake, be able to flip and square bill and do whatever. So um, I'm definitely going to fish more tournaments this year. They will be tailored more to help my style. Obviously I need to cut the learning curve any way I can against probably the the best fishermen uh, as a whole as any state in the country, I would say. Um, just a huge fishing culture, thousands and thousands of bass fishermen and bass boats and tournaments down here. Um, but but I'm hoping to jump into the Toyota series coming up here on Rayburn, which should be super fun because there'll be like seven giant tournaments leading up to that every single weekend. And that like already <laughs> sounds like Texas 700 boats a day. Um, anyways, when there's no tournaments, um, but uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. There's weeknight tournaments I want to hit. Um, and I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be a fun year. I'm excited for it. I need the need things need to warm up a little bit. They're already they're trying to get on freaking beds down here in Texas because it hasn't cooled down. So it either needs to oh, cool down man. or warm up. I don't know what it needs to do, but it's been it tough sounds enough. like if it cools down at all and then gets warm right away, they're all going to swarm the bed. Is what it sounds like if they're trying to get on bed already. Next, if it doesn't get super cold the next moon, there's going to be a ton of bed fish. Uh, second week in February. That Toyota event at uh, Toyota, yeah, Toyota at Rayburn could be a bed fishing tournament. Second week in February, Oof. if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't cool down, so it's pretty wild. Wild. That seems kind of yeah. crazy early to me. The, well, the crazy thing is here too that was a lot different than back in Nebraska. The spawn season is so much different. I always heard people talk about it, and I'm just like, dude, in Nebraska they spawn, they pull up and like, spawn, and they're done in like seven minutes. Like the, the <laughs> two better, weeks max. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, not even like Nebraska was crazy like that. I think it's just terrible habitat on man-made lakes. And so I never really got a chance to bed fish a ton, but I was just talking to Lee and he said, you know, Rayburn and, and Conroe and fork, they'll spawn from January, February until the end of June, because there's hundreds of thousands of these fish and they can't all spawn at once. And they just keep cycling through. Dang. It yeah. sounds like my smallmouth. Like, I think the smallmouth spawn on Lake Erie and Buffalo is about a month and a half long. Usually, like, May 10th through about June 30th, you can catch spawning smallmouth, and they come in waves. Every week, there's a new wave. It's wild. That's awesome. That's I think the difference is uh, you get you find smallmouth on bed in 30 foot of water versus where there's inches. <laughs> that, that's correct. Fair. correct. correct. Yeah. That all, is very all fair. All depends on the, the water clarity, of course. I'm yeah. fishing a lake right now where I know they spawn deep. Um, lake Travis here in Texas, a uh, kid caught a, a fish last year that he saw in a bed in like 15, 20 foot of water, um, super clean water, and he thought it was a 7, 8 pounder and it was a 15. So, gosh. Yeah. There's there's freaks and it's, it's wild west down here. Oh, that's Travis the most thing I was gonna say. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Bill. I was I was just gonna say Travis is one of those lakes where they like spawn on cables, right, on the docks. Maybe I know there's a lot of spawn cousin stuff. I haven't spent a ton of time there, but um, yeah, it's it's a it's like a Highland Lake. It's 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 a right. lot like Ozarks lakes, like Table Rock. Right. Give them west something temper. hard. Yep, for sure. <laughs> But um, the one thing I would say about the spawn, I have found traditionally the bigger fish spawn in deeper water, always for yeah. whatever reason, or like, at different times, first yeah. or last. You know. So, like even on some of our Finger Lakes, Bailey, I found like in June you might think the spawn is done, and then you'll find a really clean section of the lake, and you'd be like, 
oh, there's a couple giant largemouth on bed still. And you can get them to go. And that's, I think, for all New York lakes. So, But it's kind of cool. If you have water clarity, they'll spawn as far as the sun can get down. And people think they're only in six inches of water or less. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's interesting. Very. Well, dude, we will... uh... We'll let you go here. We, one, we appreciate you taking the time Thank out you. tonight and talking with us. And uh, I will say I, for one, speaking on my behalf, I am a big fan of the live scoping videos. So keep those coming. Agreed. Uh, you mentioned some people like your your different style videos. I, for one, am a huge fan of the scoping stuff. Um, so as long as you enjoy it, dude, uh, people will consume <laughs> it, I promise. Um, but for real, thank you for taking the time out. I hope you guys smash them. I hope to see a video with uh, – you and Lee coming up soon, and uh, tell Lee congrats on behalf of all of us on the uh, little livacy on the way. So uh, for sure, but dude, seriously, thank you very much for taking time. Yeah, out tonight. thanks, thanks so much for for your time, guys. Hopefully, get back on here before too much longer, and hopefully, we'll have some more fish stories to talk about. Sounds yeah, good. Just uh, just catch a state record already, and we'll we'll get you back on the show. <laughs> we we saw it today. Saw maybe a couple of them. Just got to get them in the boat. Oh, we'll be we'll be waiting for it. We're we'll, gonna hold you Sounds to that. Good. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Have a good night, Ben. Dude, that the whole big bass mentality like is so intriguing to me. I think I don't know if maybe it's because we're northerners that we're a little bit more intrigued with it because I feel like there's more of a science, and I could be wrong. Feel free to debate me on this. I'm not debating you at all. It's the one thing I know nothing about. So like I'm just thinking like I feel like it's more prevalent in the south in the north than in the north because I feel like I think I think smallmouth might be an exception where there's times of the year where bigger smallmouth will be very territorial, where bigger mm-hmm. smallmouth will be away from that bigger school of bass. Like we we've had Ben Nowak on the show, and we've talked about this theory many times, but I feel like in terms of largemouth, like I feel like our bigger largemouth, I've some of the biggest largemouth I've seen up here have always been with other schools of fish, or they've been with a couple smaller largemouth. Whereas like he's talking about where like Either one uh, larger largemouth will be like rogue, or it'll be in a group of of all ten pounders. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of a whole different mentality that intrigues the hell out of me. And really, I think the only way I'm ever going to become close to understanding it is to actually move down south and figure it out. Or Which just I plan to so figure out a bite up here to, that nobody has unlocked yet, because we're so stuck in our ways of flipping a jig in grass and drop shotting it it seems like in the last four years in new york everybody has turned to drop shot fishing now, i don't know if you noticed this as well but like there is a very slight finesse bite for good fish now on a lot of our lakes because everybody is doing it so um i personally am taking the time this summer to start fishing bigger stuff and to get out of my comfort zone when it comes to largemouth fishing just because i want to put that theory to test to see if Maybe since everybody's doing the spinning rod deal now, let's get back to more of a big school fundamental thing and see if we can maybe turn up a bigger fish bite or two here and there. Yeah, and I think sometimes us as Northerners, we kind of we can kind of get ahead of ourselves sometimes in saying that fish are more pressured than we say they are. But I think we need to give credit to some of these fish and their visibility when our mm-hmm. lakes are super clear. And know that I think a lot of times some guys are like, oh, these, per- these fish are super pressured. But in reality, they're like 
they're running them over with the trolling motor and wondering yeah. why they scared them off. Um, they're adapting to trolling motors, buzz giving them buzz cuts. <laughs> they're running less, away. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some theories I have that I'm excited to when I get Mega Live in here to put to the test and kind of go and see if maybe some of these theories will be put to, you know, come to fruition and see if they're true or not. But um, I think there's a lot of different dynamics here in the North that can be kind of similar to the South. But I think in terms of like a Texas, I think you could put the same for Georgia, maybe even a Florida for some of those, those bigger fish and how they school up like class schooling with class can be, sounds like a real thing down there. Yeah, I agree. And I, the only time I ever really find that with schooling of class is smallmouth. They tend to school in the same size, except for like very certain times of year. Um, largemouth, you can flip a grass line in a 25 square yard area and catch 12 incher, 12 incher, six pounder, one pounder, three pounder, one pounder. Like they just kind of get into high percentage areas and you never know what you're going to get. So you have to keep rotating to figure out what is going to trigger a bigger bite. And and that's the hardest thing and one of the more challenging things I enjoy about largemouth fishing is everybody thinks they're the dumbest fish in the world and you just go up underneath the dock and catch one. Absolutely. I fish for the dumbest fish in the world on a daily basis. Smallmouth. Give me a challenge in catching a big greenie. Like, that's what I've... um, come to love the last few years is chasing green fish. See, I think this is where like our interests collide, but are so similar is because you live on Lake Erie where I don't want to say it's easy to catch smallmouth. It's when you find smallmouth, it's easy to easy. catch them. Yes. But like I grew up with these large mouths. So like it's our two different, you know, growth you patterns, obviously yeah. as anglers, but smallmouth for inland lakes, at least in New York, like beyond spawn they can be they can be difficult to find in the summer months Mm -hmm. maybe that's why i always am so intrigued by them is because they're a little bit more challenging to find the inland lakes whereas when i come to great the i come to great great lakes like lake erie lake ontario st lawrence river where i'm like in love i'm in heaven because i'm catching so many of them and i have this love for smallmouth and that's probably why we always bicker about the smallmouth versus largemouth well, here's my deal. If I lived on those inland or closer to the a lot of the inland lakes, I would honestly probably spend more time chasing smallmouth and trying to figure them out just because I would be bored with largemouth. But because I live seven minutes from the Upper Niagara and 15 minutes from Lake Erie out of Buffalo, which arguably could be the best smallmouth fishery in the world for sheer class, like fish numbers, like not biggest fish, but just from a number standpoint You're just like, catching the numbers through a school and then just like casually making your way to like 27 28 pounds and like oh yeah 28 pounds would you look at that yeah you know like that's lake erie on a really good day like i mean through all of my guide trips over the summer i don't think i think our worst day out was maybe like 18 19 pounds and that's on like a really grimy Tough day, no wind, flat calm, and you're grinding out like eight to ten hours. Mm. Um, like I want to say most of the bags we caught this summer were 23 to 24 pounds, even in July and August when it's like the dog days. We were still catching really big bags of fish. 
I think that concept we talked about earlier of those fish that you found that were like subsurface a few feet, I think you need to get yourself some forward facing and put that theory to the test. I because agree. If you figure that out, dude, you will be the only person to have that <laughs> in the summer and you will win every tournament. <laughs> yeah. And and the, that's the crazier part, right? Like I think we've had this discussion before. I personally don't like fishing smallmouth derbies because so many of our big prime breeder fish die and so many people don't know proper fish care and it's not easy to keep 22 pounds of smallmouth alive in your life well even if you carry ice and fizz needles and who knows what the trauma they take in when you release them half the people release them where the water is too shallow too warm so what is that true mortality rate yeah you might have 100 percent live release but I want to know how many fish die after we release them because a lot of them are not in the best of shape when you bring them in and it's 95 degrees in your life well and you caught them 40, 50, 60 foot down. I really, honestly, Andy, I really don't think it's, I don't even think it's a smidge of an impact because oh, I doubt it. But tournaments are out, out of Buffalo. Maybe two a week at most. It's not a ton. Yeah. Well, I, I really don't think it makes a difference whatsoever. It sucks as bass anglers to see yeah. fish die, obviously. But I think on the reality of things and how healthy the fishery is, I really don't think it makes an impact, to be honest with you. It's fair. I just, I wonder, like... I could be wrong. I could be entirely wrong. On summers that we've had a lot of tournaments on the lake, like when a Costa would come through or um, like a federation tournament, I have found those summers to be tougher for not just catching big fish, but numbers of fish. Mm-hmm. Like when was the last Costa? Probably three, four years ago. And yeah, they only had one day where they weighed in fish, but every boat, there was like 220 boats, I think. Every boat, except for like two or three, weighed in a limit. And every boat had like, two to four fish die like i there was very few boats that released five fish alive right because they just don't know proper fish care which is dude think about the south like the tva or like spotted bass lakes the guys have no idea what fizzing is yeah that's scary to me it's absolutely insane and it's sad five tournaments a week on those some of those places yeah and maybe it's a credit to how many fish are actually in those lake those lakes but you also have to think of it think of it from this aspect in those southern lakes those fish constantly eat all year round because the water temp is at a prime situation for them to eat and they grow quicker um they're more hardy almost because they're they're used to the warmer temps with our fish up here in new york they eat seven eight months of the year some years six months, some years five months, depending on how cold our spring is and fall. Like there's been years where there's been ice on Erie at the end of November and you're like, screw it for December. So like it takes a lot longer for our fishery to get good. But back to the point on the Costa tournament, this year was the first good year we've had since that last Costa tournament. And that was like a string of, somewhat big tournaments year after year through the buffalo area so i'm just curious because i think that was four years ago now 
So the, all those four-year-old fish on Lake Erie are roughly three to four pounders now. If we had an absolute insane amount of three to four pound fish. So the year of the coaster, there had to have been a really good spawn class. But I remember that year specifically because the fishing up to the coaster tournament was insane. Like 50, 60 fish a day. That coaster tournament came in. After that tournament, you could pull up to any rock pile and there might have been one to two bass on it. Like, it was like the entire area got carpet bombed and decimated and all the fish died. You couldn't... I mean, it moved. I don't know if it was so much that they moved or pressured, but you could literally run, like, down lake and find nothing to spots that are further down where you know nobody fished. It was like a desolate wasteland in front of Buffalo. It was I absolutely wonder, crazy. I almost wonder if lakes that are way more pressured that are used to being consistently pressured, say like a fork where community holes are fish are more apt to being there because it's the norm to have 35 lines baits running by your face at the same time. Whereas like a Lake Erie that, you know, sees a few lines now and then on these more popular areas and they see a hundred, you know, something that drastic of a change might spook them harder than a constant, you know, someone's always plucking away at it and it's a norm versus like, that one big tournament every other year or something like that. It's like, it's almost like Oneida, dude. It's like all those guys went there, beat the crap out of them for a couple days of practice. And then kind of wondered why, you know, when they have 200 boats on Oneida for an open that no one's catching a limit. Yeah. Oneida is a classic example. That lake is so fertile and has so many fish. And Mm -hmm. then as soon as you get one big tournament on it, that lake is shot the rest of the year. So yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know about the, I wouldn't say the rest of the year. Because like the at least until fall when they start eating, it's only twenty one pounds to win after the open. But look at it like five six places down and how much the weight drops off. I honestly didn't even look so I can answer that question. Yeah, I I believe like fifth place was like twelve pounds. Like it just dropped. I think when we get offline here, we have to look up the results to try to see to test this theory. But we have a question here, Andy, and I don't want to keep away this one. Yeah. Yeah. This is one that's interesting for me because I honestly, I will say the seven pounder I caught on Halloween was the exception, but every other, you know, personal best, or I should say like, uh, there, there's a few, but like a lot of the six plus pound fish that I've caught in New York, uh, has either been on a football jig, uh, flipping grass but I have had a few like on a chatterbait or a trap or deep crank. Like I caught one in August. I caught a six, three in August last year on a six XD. So like a lot of them have been moving baits, but I will say that some of my biggest fish, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm really kind of crossing over myself here because I think it's a happy mix for me, I guess in terms of reaction baits and then baits. I'm literally soaking like a Nico or a football jig, but my go-to bait when targeting big bites, and I think I could probably guess yours, but I'll wait for you to answer. Uh, my go-to bait when targeting big bites, and not to kind of be in this theme of big baits, but I love throwing an eight-inch mag draft. If my goal is to catch like a five-plus pounder, I will throw a big mag draft because it just brings fish out of their hiding, and the chances of you getting bites are there. I don't, I've just caught every fish I've caught, like every fish. Throwing a glide bait, I've caught very few fish on a glide bait, but they've all been like five or six pounds. Mm-hmm. 
don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer. I, I have a feeling I. What is my go-to? Chatterbait. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I think in every not every tournament we fish this year, but like the ones that we've done really well in, I feel like I've gotten a really big bite on a chatterbait. But it, it's chatterbait is a great numbers bait, but it's also a great big bite. It and it's funny with the chatterbait. I don't throw it all the time. It's one of those baits I keep honest. Like I always have it tied on, but I don't throw it. Like one tournament, I might make two casts with it and set it down. But like, yeah, they're not eating it today. And then another tournament, I'll be like, you know what? We have 22 pounds of smallmouth. I got to pick something up here and we're going to burn the bank. I'm throwing a chatterbait and you do whatever you want. Cause one of us is going to get a really big bite and it's going to mm-hmm. happen today. Cause the conditions are right. It's cloudy with sun mixed in. It's blowing 80 miles an hour. We're gonna catch them on something moving, and if they're mo- if it's something that is moving and reactionary, I want to be in a chatterbait because they plow that thing and they get it so good that you don't have to worry about losing that big bite most of the times. Treble yeah. hooks terrify me with big bass, and I'll just throw that out there. They terrify you. Yes, one. I will take a hook in the hand any day for a five pulse pounder. Well, that's not what I'm worried about. Crazy for that, but like, I don't. Oh, me too. I I mean, I can't tell you how many hooks I pull out of my hand. Like, I get a steelhead when I'm steelhead guiding or when I'm steelhead fishing, and they just pop off when you go to grab them on the bank and the hook goes through your finger. Getting hooks in my hand does not worry me. Like, just parahemos or pliers and yank that son of a gun out. Yeah, we'll put an asterisk on that and say hooks in the hand. Anywhere else, no thanks. Yeah, hooks in the hand, whatever. But hands are one thing. <laughs> yeah. Dude, fun. so little story last week we're on Malax and my buddy hooks up into like an actual like a really nice walleye. It was like a 24 25 incher and he's bringing it up to the hole and I'm I ran over the hole and got ready to to scoop it and it pops off right the hole hits me right here his ice jig hits me right there and had a, it wasn't like an ice jig like the like a tungsten jig head. It was Did like you have sunglasses little, on? No. It was the little spoon with a treble hook, and it hit me right there. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. I was this close. That uh, is why you yeah. always wear sunglasses. Hobie, well, I wear. <laughs> that's when I learned you don't put your head over the hole when you go to scoop fish when you're ice fishing. <laughs> yeah, that too. Never never put your head or eyes or anything besides your phalanges in the way of treble hooks or single hooks. Doesn't matter. Jesus. Your phalanges. Just let the phalanges do all the work. They, if it doesn't hurt as bad when it goes in your fingers for whatever reason. Oh my god! But um, yeah, no, it's not even so much the hook getting in my hand, right? It's when that big one comes up with like one itty bitty treble, one itty bitty hook of your treble hook, and he comes up shaking his head on the surface. How many times have you had like a four and a half or five pounder come off because I have one hook like on the outside of their lip because I swiped at your crankbait? Yeah. Terrifying. They eat a chatterbait, it's down in the back of their gullet every time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I will say I wanted to add one more point on this because, like, I guess I really don't have a go-to bait when targeting big bites, but, excuse me, there is a, in the summer, you know me and folks that know me know that I like to get offshore, I like to get in deeper water because, everyone's beating the docks everyone's beating the bank where Mm -hmm. you still catch big fish obviously but like a lot of times i get caught in this thing where it's like it's summer it's a dog days you got to finesse you got to go light line you got to go slow 
where there is times when I like when I know like I could see that fish, like say I could see it on 360 and I know they're there and I'm throwing an eco or a drop shot and I'm catching like two, three pounders. I really want to get out of this train of thought that I have to go finesse and really just like pick up a big, big plug or like a heavy chatterbait and just like knock their brains in so that they, they, they eat. Cause it, it's, you might only catch one, yeah, but like you'll still catch. I mean, I do deep crank in the summer, but like there is a time where people are like, Oh, it's always got to be finesse. It's got to be slow where I want to go against that grain and see if that'll produce bigger. Bites. So, before I got in like this whole chatterbait phase and I'm very guilty from getting away from this. What I used to do when I'd be on like a drop shot bite and I'm like, I'm catching two pounder, two pounder, two pounder. Even if it was bright, sunny, slick, calm, I would pick up a spinner bait for whatever reason. And I would like, keep it honest, even though it was slick, calm because spinner baits mimic what we have in all of our lakes, depending on the color you can throw, can mimic a bluegill, can mimic a gizzard shag, can mimic an alewife. Those fish are reactionary to something that looks edible. So you might go really big with it, or you could downsize it. But I used to get so many big bites on a spinnerbait when it was bright blue skies, slick calm, no wind, for whatever reason. And... I would throw up maybe 10, 15 casts a day on very specific stuff, but it's just something about a spinner bait that always got a big bite for me. And it's something I'm going to get back to doing this summer as well for whatever reason. Yeah. Spinner bait's just a big bite bait. It really is. Like, yeah. I, there's been times in the clear water when those big largemouth are coming up to spawn, and I've sight fished them with a spinner bait. I think I've told you that story. I have a clip of it and everything. Like, they just, I mean, especially in that springtime, spring and fall, I mean, really, just because, like, I really shouldn't eliminate it to spring and fall, but really, like, when they're chasing bait, you can't go wrong with a spinner bait. It's just a, it's a big profile, especially if you can bulk up that skirt, throw on a big paddle tail. I mean, that is a big profile. It's almost kind of similar to throwing a mag draft or, mm-hmm. like, a big glide bait. It, it attracts that much attention. It's... It's a good way to go to if you're trying to look for a big bite, but just know that if you're in the north, you're probably going to catch a couple pike before you catch a bass. So um, that's actually a that's one of the comments I was looking at, Andy, that I wanted to bring up too because yes, actually, what? <laughs> yes, is my we answer. <laughs> you're talking we, to the steelhead guy here. <laughs> yes, we have um, a lot of small creeks here in Buffalo that dump into Lake Erie. And right around the middle of April, a lot of the smallmouth will start making their way into the creeks. And you can catch them on low, like 2.8 Kytex. Bailey, we're doing it this spring if you're around because it's one of the most fun days that you'll ever have chasing smallmouth. Because, Dude, yeah, that's my childhood is yeah. like little tiny creeks and getting like a little spinner bait or a little swim bait, little um, like. You can even throw like little spooks for them. Like, yeah, I'm talking about like you. You ever been in Henrietta and Rush Creek? I think it's called. Yeah, I know about it. There, there's some spots you can get to, like going through parks and crap that you can get back in there. And that was like my childhood, like of fishing. My dad would drop me off. I'd wade down the whole creek, and he'd pick me back up. Like, dude, that is one thing I want as a goal this year. Is we get so caught up in advancing our fishing, learning more, learning, learning. Back to the roots. Yeah, I want to spend more time getting back to the roots. Like, I spent a lot of time fishing tournaments last year, and tournaments are going to be a big thing for me this year. And obviously, learning will always be that precedent. But, like, 
I want a couple days to go take one rod, not bringing 15 rods in the damn Hobie, like take one rod, one little backpack. You know, we get snacks. You and I go backpacking down a little creek for the day. That sounds like an absolute riot. As soon as that bite is on, I will let you know. Let's do it. Let's make yeah. it happen. Fishing so, with the uh, Bobber, thank you for, for bringing that up. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad we had that conversation. You guys can look out for that soon. And uh, we have, we actually kind of had a good conversation with uh, the Serious Angler team today um, on what's, uh, what's to come for our fishing content. Um, and uh, we're pretty pumped to show you guys that. And uh, I guess really one thing to start it off, and we won't get into it all, but um, you guys will look forward to um, in a couple of weeks, I will be f- uh, driving down to Louisiana for the first Hobie BOS kayak tournament on Toledo Bend. I'll be filming the whole way. It's going to be a whole series, and it's going to be pretty cool. We finally have the name figured out for it, um, and it's one that I'm pretty pumped about. And uh, Andy, should I just tell him, Andy? You think? Sure. Go ahead. Why not? It, it starts in like a week, so why wouldn't you? Literally leave on February yeah. yeah, so it's going to be in <laughs> 17 days. It's a new series. Uh, I got some stuff filmed for it. just need to edit a trailer and get it out to you guys. But um, it is going to be called Chasing Hardware. And I think that's a pretty badass name for uh, a tournament series they're going to be doing. The goal is obviously to make to the Hobie Tournament of Champions, which is the top 50 anglers in the league. And they make it to the Tournament of Champions. Winner gets 45K. Um, and obviously the the hardware, which is what we all chase as tournament anglers, is that first place trophy. Um, so I figured that would be a pretty cool series. And honestly, the credit for the name all goes to the captain right here. He came up with it. The least creative person of the bunch. <laughs> Must <laughs> go figure. Have, have that on my <laughs> head there. Back, everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a squirrel but, uh, finds a nut once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I'm really pumped for that series, and we're going to come up with some more series here soon because Andy and I are going to fish some tournaments. Deacon's obviously going to be fishing a bunch of tournaments. We're going to be kind of changing up how we present our fishing content to you guys this year. That way it's more accessible to you guys and uh, hopefully more enjoyable. So, we do have the, the channel loaded with content. If you're new to this channel, obviously, you know, we're an hour and 20 minutes in, but hello, uh, introducing you to our Thank channel. Thank you for and, joining uh, us tonight and sticking with us the entire time. We always appreciate that. Yeah. We, and if you guys are never, or I shouldn't say never, but if you, there's nights where you're not able to tune in to the whole live stream or there's parts where you want to just listen to it. Um, our podcast is available on all MP3. So if you have Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, whatever have you, you guys can find us on there. Um, but it's going to be a pretty fun year for us in 2022. Uh, we're going to go in further depth uh, with it on Friday. But um, I will say now, I mean, obviously the logo has been there if you guys have been paying attention. But we are partnering with Omnia Fishing for 2022. We're going to have a code for you guys. Big discounts. Uh, if you guys want to order from omniafishing.com uh, our code serious down below all caps serious uh you guys can get yourself 50 percent off your order uh, but we got a bunch of stuff coming in hot with our sponsors this year our partners that were with us for 22 are ecstatic to be working with us as we are with them and we have a lot of stuff coming down the pipe that we're excited to share so kind of just going in on a tangent on what's to come this year because we are beyond excited it's gonna be a great year for us and uh, it's all credit to you guys because you guys continue to support us. And uh, like you're sitting here and we still have a bunch of people listening uh, an hour and a half in. And we have thousands of people that listen on the podcast that may not even ever tune into the YouTube stuff. But we appreciate all of you guys. 
and uh, we are excited. Y'all rock. For a big year. Yeah. Y'all rock. If, you, if you're still listening to this and you're on MP3, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave us a rating and review. Helps us big time. Um, but just know, uh, folks, if you guys tune into the YouTube stuff or the MP3, that all those discount codes below are for you guys to save money on your orders on some of the top-of-the-line products. So we appreciate y'all. Andy, anything else for tonight before we sign off here? I just want to say to Ryan Dahl, he gave us a little comment there. I'm coming to your creeks, Andrew. Um, May, buddy. May is the best time. Bring up Andrew Hayes. We'll have a 2v2 creek action. That would be fun. I called out Tackle Talk Podcast. Clip it. (laughs) I've been trying to get Andrew Hayes to come up here with Ryan, and I feel like that dude is just like, nah. I'm just going to stick to fish my little Ohio creeks for my little fish. I think he's scared to catch a big one because it will ruin him for the rest of his life. Uh-oh. He's going to have to. We've joked about him moving up here. So maybe he's going to have to come up here now. But, yeah, 603, you did get here way too late. We're about to sign off. Yeah. Uh, but well, thanks again, for tuning in anyways. Yeah, we either way. <laughs> thanks for joining us. You'll have to uh, rewind and go listen to Ben talk about that big bass mindset because it's actually a really intriguing topic. Um, but we got a lot of, of cool episodes coming up. We have Dave Mercer coming on Friday, so that should be a fun one. Um, and then, uh, Deacon has the dark horse tackle crew coming on, um, Thursday because tonight's episode is going to get pushed into tomorrow. Um, so we got some, we got some things just so you guys are in the loop. We have some things kind of mixing up, um, schedule wise, um, that we'll unveil here soon. We'll keep you guys in the loop, obviously. Um, but we're going to probably change up some days moving forward um, just to make sure that more of you guys are able to, to tune into the content. So Andy, I think without further ado, we'll sign off here tonight, folks. We appreciate you guys and we will talk to you guys on Friday. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can, and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.